Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence. All right, here we go. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside. And I have an author today of a book that I just adored called Let Them Be Kids. Jessica Smurt is the author. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks for having me, Ginny. And thanks so much for all you're doing. I'm just so grateful for how you're helping parents and um, the work that you're doing. So yeah, it's an honor to be here. Oh, I'm so thrilled that you're here. So Jessica's last name is Smart, but Smart has two T's. And so you can find Jessica at jessica.smart on Instagram. And then the website is Smarter Each Day. I love that, but with two T's. So that last name has been to your advantage, I think, Jessica. (laughs) It has. And I was actually a teacher, a middle school teacher when I got married. And they just thought that was about the funniest thing ever, that I was going to be so smart, you know? Yeah, Mrs. Smart. (laughs) That's awesome. With two T's. So I've got your bio here that you began your motherhood blog, Smarter Each Day. That's Smarter with two T's. One week after your first baby was born. You live uh, with your husband in beautiful North Carolina. You like hiking with your kids, mostly, which I love. Uh, Steaming coffee in the afternoon, family bike rides, anything that's ever been done to a potato. So we definitely relate there. I am a potato lover as well. (laughs) And you're the author of two books. So the one that I just recently read is called Let Them Be Kids, Adventure, Boredom, Innocence, and Other Gifts Children Need. This is such a beautiful book, Jessica. The cover is gorgeous and the artwork throughout, and it's such a meaningful book. So that one came out in 2020 and then in 2019. Also, Memory Making Mom, Building Traditions That Breathe Life Into Your Home. These are good books, Jessica. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That means so much. And I mean, you know, you don't sit around reading your books, but I pulled it out to have on hand for the interview. And I just was sort of thumbing through like... I love this. This really is great. (laughs) You know, you forget. So it's nice to have a message that I'm still so passionate about. Even now it's like three, more than four years, actually, since I actually wrote the words, you know, because it takes forever. But yeah, it's still so important. I think it becomes more important every day, every season. It's the message is just we need to hear it. We need to hear it again. Yes, I think it will always be important. And I agree with you. I think that part of what I do is is I'm reading these books and I'm putting out quotes and they're as much for myself as they are for other people because I think our technological world is so ever present and distracting. And so I need resolve almost every day to remember that, look, it's good for kids to be bored. Look, there are gifts here. And I love how you worded it, that it's gifts. These are gifts that children need. So thank you for being here. And I'm so excited to talk about childhood. Can you tell us just a little bit about your family and how you ended up being an author that focuses so much about childhood and memories and family and parenting and those types of things? Well, yeah. So I live in North Carolina with my husband. I homeschool our three kids. I was a teacher, so I've always kind of been passionate about kids and family. Like I grew up just reading my parents' books on raising kids, which is totally weird now that I (laughs) I look back. But that's just always been my niche. And we have a really unique setup. Um, We live on a family farm in North Carolina. So my parents are across the street. They bought 30 acres 
and then gave land to my sisters and me. So we live on this cul-de-sac of white houses and the kids just kind of run around and live like we, we, when I get annoyed at them, I'm like, you know, your life is a summer camp. So you will sweep the floor right now and be quiet because you know, this, you don't realize how lucky you are. (laughs) Um, Wow. So so, yeah, it's just really a blessing. Yeah. So there's 10 kids Oh my goodness. How yes. incredible. So, I know. They're spoiled. Yes. They're just spoiled rotten. So, and it's it's really a wonderful. I mean, there's all sorts of drama. Like, you know, sure. just yesterday they came in crying because somebody had thrown a rock that they were calling a grapefruit and I mean, I don't even know. Like, so <laughs> there's always something. But yeah, it's just really neat to really see them being able to live out this message, you know, and mm-hmm. like they really can be kids and not that it's easy. It's you still have to make intentional choices, but we are so blessed. So that's been fun. Ironically, we didn't live here or have this life when I wrote the book. I remember. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, so this is a recent development, but I, I remember riding in the car, listening to another podcast, and the speaker noted that most children are introduced to pornography at the age of, I think she said 11. I don't know. It's yeah. probably even earlier now that was uh, dated a little bit, but I just remember thinking what happened to childhood? Like we need to bring back childhood. And so I texted my agent at the time with that idea, like bringing back childhood. And he's like, yeah, that absolutely is something that needs to be discussed. So that's like the negative spin. But as you said, I really like more to sit in the gifts of just like my daughter right now is has a classroom, like literally right this minute, she's upstairs in her room setting up it, it up to be a classroom for dolls and stuffed animals. Aww. And, you know, I just love whenever I see that, if I see a kid bringing a book into a restaurant, I just want to go top the parents on the shoulder and be like, nice work, you know? <laughs> oh my goodness. We had the coolest thing happen. We were at a restaurant. I had my kids with me. And it was Panera, actually. And I had all my kids with me. And this family came in and they had little ones, three little kids. And you remember what that's like when you've got little ones. I mean, they were like toddlers and a baby and a preschooler. They were all little. It was a set of parents and these three little kids. And no one got out of phone. And the parents were so attentive to these kids. And they Mm. were talking to them and answering questions. And the kids had all these questions. And they were just talking. And my kids noticed. And then we started talking about that family within my family, talking about this family. And so we ended up grabbing them a gift card to Panera because I felt like- Look at you. Before we left, because I felt like it was such an example to my own kids. It was a huge moment to see how attentive Mm -hmm. the parents were and how engaged the kids were. And then they knew who I was. (laughs) So that was actually a crazy twist. She says, oh, are you the founder of 1000 Hours Outside? So that was actually really, they were talking about how they had just come from outdoors. They were talking about their adventures. It was really neat. So I actually think it's a really cool idea that when we see people out in public in those ways, to be encouraging, especially now that we're in a different stage. And so something that is modeling to our kids because they're able to see parenting of young children in that way. And so I love that. And I love, yeah, I love that idea of when you see people out and doing things to say something and to be encouraging because it's hard. It's hard. And I've been on both sides. Like, I don't want to sound, you know, judgy pants. I mean, I definitely try to be intentional, but 
that stinking phone. It's so distracting and it just breaks my heart. It's so easy to see in others, like the good and the bad and not see it in yourself. But it does break my heart when I'm out and I'll see, you know, a mom with a son and like they're both on the phone or the mom's because I just want to be like, this is such a short period of time. Like just put it down. And and, you know, I don't again, like who knows all the scenarios, maybe they're ordering an emergency medication and they really need to concentrate like, right. But it's just sad that we've lost that. You know, my mom never had the ability to sit on a phone when we were out, we really were out and we could focus. So just navigating that. The point is, is that it has become, I think, more rare to see the family that is fully engaged where everyone is fully engaged, even the Mm. parents. So same for me, no, to not have my own phone out and that type of thing. So it's become more rare to see that. Mm -hmm. And it's really encouraging to see that. And so I like Mm -hmm. that idea of noticing it and even talking about it and pointing it out and saying something that's encouraging. And I like what you talked about with this age, you know, you talked about age 11 with the pornography. And I'm not quite sure what the statistics are. I think possibly they've dropped lower, but we have this woman on our podcast um, named Dr. Susan Lynn. And one of her big things she talks about is the loss of middle childhood, that it's almost completely been lost. And she says that middle childhood is ages 6 to 12. And so that pornography stat falls right into that set of ages, ages 6 to 12, and they should still be kids then. They should still have chances to play and even dolls and all those types of things like you're talking about setting up school. That's so fun that all those types of things should, that kids should still get a chance to do those things throughout that set of childhood years. So you talk about gifting kids a childhood. Just beautiful words in your books. It's not cute or trendy to save childhood. When we gift our kids childhood, we are in fact changing history. So what does that mean to you when you say gifting childhood? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you give something a gift, someone a gift, it's going to cost something, right? Like you don't Mm. give your leftovers. So, you know, you're going to go out and be intentional and think and depending on where you are in your finances, it can hurt a little bit and it it's a self-sacrificing act. And so there's that. And like we were, we're talking about, like it, it just, it, it is hard. And so to make the decision to pull up the chairs around the fire and not just let everyone go to their corners of the house. Like that's a dying to self. So that's the gifting, but then also just what a blessing it is. And I I'm here today because my parents did that for me. I had, and of course there's always redemption and it's never too late. And I, I have so many friends that had difficult childhoods and are just such thriving adults that I, it's a testimony to me of just the human ability to overcome. But at the same time, I'm so grateful I didn't have to, that I stepped into adulthood in a sense whole and I had the capacity and the confidence and the focus and the ability to work and just so many stories in my head. You know, I had, I talk about the gift of innocence, but what a gift that is to be able to mm. allow your kids to step into their marriage and their friendships and their, you know, spirituality, whatever you may call it, not carrying all of this baggage. Like, what a mm. gift. And that's, again, I believe this is a fallen world and no, you're never going to have perfection, you know, and so right. we, we recognize that. But as parents, we are protectors and it is our honor to be able to gift them with the things that they need for a healthy, thriving adulthood. And every memory, every character trait that we're able to help them grow is just like tools in a tool belt that they can use 
as an adult. You know, I was able to focus and write my book because I had learned how to write and I had a lot of stories in my head and I had a lot of experiences and people that I had met and classes that I had taken. You know, that was all because of my parents and the way that they laid their life down for me. And so, um, and they weren't perfect, (laughs) you know, and I make so many more mistakes than they made. And I believe, I I do want to stop and say, you know, I always like to say quickly on in the interview, um, I hate listening to something where you just feel more discouraged afterwards than when you started. I hate listening to someone and think, I'll never be that. I'm so glad your life is so perfect. That was great that I spent 30 (laughs) minutes thinking about that, you know, because that's unhelpful to everyone. But it is just, I believe it is firmly written in the laws of nature that we can improve. And tomorrow when we wake up can be different than today. And so no matter who is listening and what your life is like and what mistakes you have made or you know, we've all done some things great and some things not so great. That's just a fact, but you're not stuck in your story. And so Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think kids are often quicker to change than we are. You know, we think, oh, they're going to like really bulk if I take this away or start a new habit. And I have found they adjust super quickly. Mm -hmm. I'm usually the one that (laughs) is like (laughs) reticent to change. So just wanted to give that little glimmer of hope that I certainly don't want to act like, oh, I I believe me, do not have it all together. And I'm still learning. And no matter where we are, we can improve. Yeah. I think your point about that a gift costs something is so profound. And I've never thought about it that way. And also never read anything like that. You had the sentence that says, to let them be kids isn't simply disengaging. It costs something, often something resembling a whole lot of a whole stinking lot of work. So that seems counterintuitive, right? You would think that to let the kids have a childhood, it's kind of just like, let them go. But it does cost. So can we talk about that? Like, what are the costs, Mm -hmm. especially in this day and age? I think that the costs look different than they used to. There's probably always been costs Mm -hmm. involved. Mm -hmm. But the costs look different for parents today than maybe they might have 20 or 30 years ago. And I think, you know what is hopeful about that message is that it makes it feel like it's okay that it's hard. So sometimes I think when we think when things are hard that we're doing it wrong, but this message is like, no, Mm -hmm. if it feels like it costs you something in this case, that's a good thing. Yeah. So two things that I would want to say. When you have little kids, like, you know, it's hard. It's obviously hard. It's obviously tiring because they're sitting there like, you know, whining in your face when they're hungry. But then something kind of fuzzy happens in what you were referring to as the middle years. You kind of have a minute where you're like, oh, I actually can sit in this chair and they can just kind of be over there and they're not going to die. And (laughs) it's really nice. And so you can start getting like too comfortable, I think, and you can kind of check out. And so I think the costs that come to mind are two. One is to choose to be near them and invest in them because Mm -hmm. you don't actually have to. Like they're not going to, you know, eat all the stink bugs in the house. Like they probably won't (laughs) do that, but they still need you so much, you know? Mm. And so choosing to say, hey, let's play some games or what are you guys doing? Do you want to like... I mean, I, you know, they, my kids had built this little fort in the, on the creek. And I mean, I could have totally just stayed in my house watching the dishes, but it was like Mm. something kind of gave me this little, you should go down and check out what they're doing. And they were so thrilled that I came down to see their project. So happy, you know, so just choosing to spend time. And then the second cost, I think, and this is so, so important. I'm finding myself more and more passionate about it is the cost of being different Mm. and allowing your kids to be different. 
because you're just going to have to make some decisions. And even my husband and my dearest friends, we differ quite significantly on some issues, you know, but we know where we stand and we know what we feel like we're called to do with our kids. And so you kind of just have to block out the noise and Mm -hmm. not let yourself care, you know, whether it's when they're getting a phone, whether it's the show you're going to watch, whether it's where you're going to have, whether you're going to have a sleepover, whether it's how much TV is in the house, you know, I mean, what they can watch or whatever. I'm probably not articulating this well, but there's a hundred different times during a week when you're faced with the opportunity to do what everyone else is doing, even though you kind of don't feel like it's the right thing. And that's a cost and you're going to bear the cost and they're going to bear the cost. But I, again, to twist the narrative, I love to think of it as this is a gift. Like, and I got this from my dear friend I quoted in my book. I think it was this Let Them Be Kids where he talks about the gift of being like one of us in our family, like you're a smart, Mm. you know, that's my last name. Like in our family, this is what we do. And Mm. so it's not, instead of being an isolating thing, it's a unifying thing. And it's like, here's your people look around. These are your people. And you are going to be different actually. Like, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Everyone else is doing it. You're completely right. We're different. We're smarts. And so making it a positive. It works really well with your last name. (laughs) We're smart. I love (laughs) it. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So it does. It does. Yeah. I love that. It is unifying. You're a part of something. You have this collective set of standards or decisions that you live by, and it brings you together. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com outside120 code outside 120. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just 2 minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, protein plus, and keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. 
Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. Mm -hmm. And I just, again, to hammer this home, I just feel like, and I'm including myself in this, we can be really afraid to make decisions. And that's Mm -hmm. not a healthy way to parent. Like fear of my kid being unhappy because that's just going to happen. Like if you do the right thing, for sure that's going to happen. But that's not a great guiding model of being a parent. You know, that's Mm -hmm. by by our definition, we just have to make some tough calls. Yeah. So this cost and, you know, there's a cost in terms of mess, I think, Um, a cost in terms of your time. Mm, That's a good a cost in terms of risk. I think there's risk involved. Like if you're trying to, well, because like you said, not everyone is parenting the same way. So if you're trying to find friends or community, there is risk involved there of inviting people along and they may or may not come or different things. So it really puts a different perspective on it when you talk about the gift of childhood or any gift that gifts come with a cost, but that, you know, when you give a gift and the other person is elated or delighted or it just is life-changing for them, the gift, then it's certainly worth it. It's really an interesting, profound thing to think about, Jessica. I love that part of your book, talking about the cost. I also loved about this sentence. You said, I remembered when it dawned on me that I had the power to introduce my kids to joy. I had the power to introduce my kids to joy. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And what made it dawn on you that that was in your power? Hmm. Well, that was like throwback thinking to being a mom, which I was a terrible new mom, but one of the slurs. Oh, so terrible. I mean, the worst. (laughs) (laughs) So bad. (laughs) That's awesome. It's nice to meet another member of that club. (laughs) I mean, and for years. um, Yeah. Oh, it's hard. It's really hard. And actually what turned things around was simply going outside. It took the edge off for me and it really helped our kids. So that was a change, but it was because someone else introduced me to the concept. I didn't even, I can't even take credit for like stumbling upon it. (laughs) It it wasn't me. Uh, Yeah. Well, same. I, yeah, I, I feel like when I started enjoying it was when you realized like, what's the word? It's really empowering when you're like, I can help shape their day and their Mm. mood and like what they're introduced to and show them beauty and joy and an adventure. And like, I've seen that real life where, you know, you wake up in the morning and you could, you kind of have the two paths before you of like the normal day, which we live plenty of those, but like Mm -hmm. you, or you get everybody in the car and like, go do something really cool. And how rewarding that mostly is. We've had some flops, but mostly you're like, oh, I'm so glad that I did that. And parenting seems so long and exhausting, but it's truly not. And our little snippet of 
time to make an impact is so small. Like now that mm-hmm. I I don't know how old your kids are, Jenny, but mine is 13. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, this happens so fast. Like what in the world just happened? Yeah. And pretty soon you're going to have a job and you're not even going to care about all the things that I think are fun. So it's such a short period <laughs> of time where you can be like, hey, come outside. Look at that truck. Look how mm-hmm. that cement is pouring down. Is that not super cool? And by the way, I still do that with my like middle-aged kids. Like mm-hmm. I am not afraid to be like, Yesterday, I drug them outside because there was some sort of slug smushed on the (laughs) sidewalk. And I was like, this is super cool. Come out and see this. Yeah, you talk about showing the good life, which that's probably not the best transition, like a smushed slug and the good life. But I really thought this was very motivating. Hey, sure. You talked about kids need to see the good life. I love this. They need to have lived it, breathed it tasted it. They need to have done these things, heart-raising adventures, because the world is throwing at them imitation fun, phony entertainment, fake joy. And you say the world not only throws it, but the kids are eating it up hook, line, and sinker. So you're talking about how we're so dissatisfied. Then you sort of take it this step further that this is part of our role as a parent is to show our kids these really good parts of life that don't have to be major adventures. They can be a smushed slug, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and it's both like, so my first book, Memory Making Mom Belt Traditions, I talk about like, there's the everyday stuff. But I did realize that to be like, that the moments that I looked back and remembered from childhood were some really memorable ones. So I do mm-hmm. think it's a balance of like, we are going to try to see another national park this summer because yeah. I think that's important. And they'll really remember that for until they die, probably right. like they'll remember seeing the Tetons, you know? So, mm-hmm. but to your point, like, yeah, it's also just the every day and like opening their eyes to, I mean, gosh, the world is just so beautiful. I'm looking out right now and there's like this little sparrow on the tree. And I just love that, you know, those are things I think my kids would still notice and see. Mm -hmm. And it really honestly makes me choked up to just think about what a gift it is to give them this weird life of like (laughs) seeing and enjoying nature Mm -hmm. and not just doing what, you know, a lot of culture is doing and just getting sucked into the entertainment that comes mainly through a screen because it's just so different. That's not how we were made to live. Right. And it's filling up all the time. And I liked that you talked about that and the section on boredom. And sort of throughout, there was this concept of there's too much to do in childhood. Childhood is meant for so many things. And we just don't have the time to give so much of it to the screens. Not that Mm. they're all bad. But you write, there's just too much to do to get stuck there for long. That basically that childhood holds its own purpose. So we have to make sure that we are guiding our kids in the ways that show them the good life and giving them time to be bored. That's one of the things that you talk in here as well. So can we talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, for sure. You say, I believe boredom is one of the greatest gifts and it costs something. It does. It costs whining sometimes. Mm, yeah. so much easier to just throw on the screen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so much easier. But you say they're guinea pigs. There has not yet existed a generation who played Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on an iPhone during every single doctor's appointment of their lives. So no one has gotten to adulthood yet who has been in this sort of a childhood. But we do know, and you write in the book about the blessing of boredom, basically. So can we talk about that? Yes, I love it. Yeah. I mean, I get seriously saddened thinking about I had some really awesome road trips. Did you have some fun road trips in your life? We did. Yeah, we did. For sure. 
like when you were with, you know, high school friends or college friends and it was the best because there was nothing to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had like your like CD binder and you got like a bag of some sort of a snack from a gas station. You had no clue when another gas station was coming. Like (laughs) Mm -hmm. you, you just were, which I really truly don't know how I made it out alive of those years because (laughs) I'm so bad with directions. (laughs) But you so did. I am thankful for Google Maps. But, but yeah. I did. That's true. Mm-hmm. But what a gift that time was. I remember my husband and I, before we were dating, we drove like eight hours home from college. Mm-hmm. And we played this game where we tried to smash bugs with our hands. We were 20, 20 years old. Okay. <laughs> like how terrible is that? Talk about like the middle age years. We were so immature. But it was awesome. Like we had the best time. We were like guessing the names of country songs that came on. You couldn't Google it. You just had to like, if the DJ didn't say it, you didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so just so get, boredom has given us so many gifts mm-hmm. along with friendship and memories and patience is another huge one. So we today just have to, it's just so much harder because you have to like objectively choose and we purposely got a car that doesn't have TVs in it. I didn't want it because I don't want that option when we're... And I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's a time and a place. But I didn't want to have that in there as an option. I love that, like, well, we're just going to kind of all sit here <laughs> <laughs> and talk and yeah. and fight and kick each other in the forehead. like <laughs> Right. Because, I mean, that really so, is what so it is. So making us... It's la- that's the cost mm-hmm. is that it's loud and it's chaotic and... It's harder in a lot of ways, but I love the correlation with friendship. I thought that was so interesting when you Mm -hmm. say, when you get rid of boredom, one casualty is friendship and that you have this sentence that there's a really big sentence. I really don't think you can be a good friend without learning to be comfortable with boredom. Mm -hmm. Tell us why. Mm -hmm. Because it's annoying to listen to a long story. And I'm saying this realizing not realizing, but it is a personal struggle for me to like live this in my own life with my own iPhone and like put it on silent and put it away. And, but you know, yeah, to be, you have to spend, and I have some friends that are so good at it. Like they can just sit and concentrate on you and talk. And so the patience to be a good friend and to be able to allow time to do that, you know, Mm. we want to model that for our kids so that they're making those choices. Because I do worry about the kind of people that technology molds is not the kind that fought the world wars. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just different. But again, not being nostalgic, just how do we use the gifts of technology in a positive way and let go what doesn't work? Like, what routines can we put into our life? Yeah. And how do we save space for these things that actually are very important? It makes me think about, I started, we're trying to walk a little bit more this year a lot more this year, actually. Did a lot of sitting last year for screen-related things, and so I'm trying to change that. So sometimes I'll walk by myself and other times with our kids. And if I'm by myself, I've been listening to audiobooks. Well, you can make them faster, and you can listen to it Mm. at, you know, 1.2, 1.3. You have the option to make Mm. it faster. And then I was talking to someone recently who said that certain podcast players, you know, depending on where you listen to your podcast, it will cut out all the breaks for you, all the pauses, it automatically mm. gets mm. rid of them all. And so I was thinking, well, what what is that doing to our expectation of conversation? Is it making it so that it's going to be harder for us to sit through someone's 
normal length of speech and as people Hmm. pause for things. So I really love this thought of boredom and how it relates to friendship and that it will really help our kids to be more patient people and to be able to sit with someone for longer and to give them our attention. Mm, That's really profound. Yeah. I think I tell the story in there. Like my point is, well, that's what we deep down want, you know, and it's what our kids deep down want. And I think I tell a story in there about they took all the cell phones away of like, I think it was like high school juniors who went on a field trip and it was a couple day field trip. And the first day they're all freaking out. Like they have to check it. They, they're just, they're not going to make it. And by the end of the trip, a couple days later, they didn't want the phones back. They're like, please, it's wow. so much better. This is awesome. And it makes me so sad, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and that some kids so. maybe don't even have the opportunity to know what that's like, that those kids had it because the school decided to take it away for a couple of days and then they got to have the experience. And I think that's part of it. Like when you're saying to show them the good life, it's showing our kids so they have the firsthand real experience themselves that, hey, life's got a lot to offer. These screens seem like they're a better option and sometimes they're great. But real life also has a lot to offer too. And that relationships are huge. You had a, an equation there. It said friends minus technology equals a profound gift. Friends minus technology mm. equals a profound gift. So, and I think some people would say friends plus technology, like they'll play video games together a little bit or something like that. But For I sure. love that. I mean, oh, you yeah. really do build your friendships when you're doing things together and don't have the screens out. And then it helps imagination and creativity. So you talked about how we can build our imaginative muscles. How do we do that? Mm. I mean, I think you you fill it up first. I'm teaching a homeschool writing course at our co-op. And the whole premise behind the writing course is it's harder to think things up out of your own brain versus having some material. So they'll kind of give you a story and then you get to change it and add things to it. So I think um, the parallel being to fill your head and your heart with good stories, like things Mm. that are true and real and hopeful and And that's through reading and reading. Talk about, you know, requiring concentration and being bored Mm -hmm. so much worse than um, reading good books. I mean, there are some that are along the lines of, you know, although I do believe reading is reading and some of those books help because they're kind of like a gateway drug. So if you need to use them, that's fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the really good, rich stories, that is the way to open a child's brain and heart into the potential and the possible. And it doesn't have to be fantasy. You know, Mm -hmm. I I get a lot of rich meaning out of nonfiction and just reading stories about really amazing people. Mm -hmm. So whatever the kid is interested in, you can find something. But I think about that a lot with imagination. And then, yeah, just giving them the supplies. Sometimes that's, you know, it would be cruel to lock someone in a little room with nothing and just say, be bored, you know? So it's kind of that mixture of you're providing them with some materials and knowing when that Mm. needs to happen. I certainly have had my kids in the house where you're like, okay, you need something else. You've been in here for too long. We got to fix it up. We need something else. So there's some nuance and wisdom involved in it. But yeah, I just, I love the idea of for every kid being able to have that box of stuff that they can, whether it's stories and books and 
you know, art supplies and they can pull out and just have the space to pretend and imagine. And again, to your point about the middle years, my son, who's 13 right now, they're taking an entrepreneurship class, which is a hoot at the Mm. co-op that we're involved in. And so they're imagining right now that they're running a power washing business and they, you know, they've got their logo and they're brainstorming, you know, which machine they're going to buy and who their customers are. And that's a very different, that's a next step imagination play. Like they're envisioning right. what their life will be like as grown ups, And that's a perfectly appropriate junior high kind of an activity hmm. to kind of like, okay, let's role play this and what would we do? So the kids really are very good at this. You just have to like give them the space and they'll come up with it. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the key part is giving them the space and you talk in the, and that's fun. I mean, you could see how that would be so helpful as you become an adult, as you're trying to dream up what your life might be like and give time to those different concepts of what your goals are and what are your aspirations and what do you want your family life to be like? And what might you be able to do? What might you be able to do to start your own company? I mean, that's incredible to be thinking about it at such a young age and to have the knowledge and the skill set to be able to think through different types of scenarios that aren't real that you're just imagining but could be real be your point of they need the space for it and you talk in the book about it's busyness that is really taking up so much time and it's busyness that looks good it's skill-based classes it's clubs it's camps and it's all this academic learning and you say it's not that grown-ups are being mean and cruel yanking kids off swing sets and out of cul-de-sac kickball games they're not being mean and cruel But you say play is getting the boot because people think it's better if they do these academic type things. And then you write the irony is kids learn most effectively through play. That's incredible. And it it seems like it's coming up even at younger and younger Mm -hmm. ages. I like what you talked about kindergarten. You know, as a home educator, you could probably shed some light on. And now that you have a 13 year old, so end of middle school, heading into high school age, what did your kindergarten look like? And is your 13 year old okay? Hmm. Well, I was, <laughs> that's funny because I was probably over ambitious educating him and thinking, oh, I needed to add some workbooks. And um, hmm. interesting. It's yeah, so over time things change. And I feel, I felt the same way with the first kid. Did you? I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids every day. AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit betterhelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. And, you know, yeah, you're just nervous. You want it to be Yeah, right. I'm nervous. But we also had four younger ones yeah. at the same time. So circumstantially, I just couldn't <laughs> fill that time with a ton of academics. And so I did a shift for myself and was like, oh, we're, you know, we're like the Waldorf school. <laughs> it wasn't actually my <laughs> ideal. It was just a situation that I found ourselves in. So then I started to research all the other benefits of sort of letting things go and extending the play into a little bit later years. But um, this concept about like kindergarten and, and what should kids be doing in those young years and is play a valuable pursuit. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, kindergarten has changed so drastically over the last 30 years because mm-hmm. there was so much more freedom for a teacher to do the play-based stations and all of that. And there wasn't right. these testing end of year things. And you know, we had a good long nap, I feel like, in kindergarten. And that, mm-hmm. I think, is very rare for most schools to even have a little rest time. And I absolutely think it's to our detriment and to our kids' detriment. That's honestly been one of the big perks, I think, of homeschooling because it is it is a long day for a kindergartner. My friends that have sent, and I, we have some really excellent schools in the area. And, you know, I have friends whose kids really did well. They had a great experience in their local school or private schools. But man, it's an adjustment in the beginning because they've got to get up so early. They're pretty much going straight through the day. There's not as much you know, just it's okay to stop and listen to a story. It all has to feel a lot more academic. It's more Mm -hmm. serious. They've got to get on the train quickly and stay at their pace. And I just don't think that's best for kids. I just don't. Right. And what you say, I love what you say. It's not like they're trying to be cruel. It's just this Mm -hmm. misconception, I think, that play Mm -hmm. counts. And play counts a lot because it's like what's happening when some of my favorite books are by Dr. Carla Hannaford. She has one called Smart Moves, Why Learning is Not All in Your Head. And she has another one called The Dominance Factor, which is is so interesting, Jessica. It's all about how we have dominances throughout our body. Like, you know, you're right or left brained or you're right or left handed, but you're also like right eye or left. There's like eye dominance, ear dominance and foot dominance. And one side of the brain controls the other side's movements. Anyway, it's fascinating. But the the point is, is, the point of all of it is, is that we function best when our connections between both sides of the brain are strong. And the way that they get strong is through play, even through into adulthood, she talks about. Hmm. Like that's how we strengthen oh, wow. these connections from the left side to the right side. And our brain is through play and it's through complex movement. And so that helps kids for a lifetime in everything that they're learning. And so it just seems like it's a misconception or it's a misunderstanding And so because of that, we're structuring childhood, like you said, in this way that's not the best for them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my heart goes out to some of these little kids are just stressed to the max because mm-hmm. they aren't reading yet or their fine motor skills aren't in tune. And that is one message I wish I could go back and give my former self because I, I just had it in my head of like when they need to do certain things mm-hmm. and eventually did realize that they're all going to learn how to read. I mean, there certainly are learning disabilities and there are times to intervene. Right. But I do believe that kids just they're on their different timetables, just like they don't all roll over at the same exact time. You know, sometimes it takes them a little bit longer. And I was more generous with my daughter, who's my third born, in just knowing she's going to read. And she didn't read as quickly as the older two, but she is just fine. And now mm-hmm. she loves it. And, you know, I didn't put all of this pressure and I just allowed her to naturally do what she was going to do. Yeah. I mean, and there's a lot to it. Well, it was even t- <laughs> with that Dr. Carla Hannaford. So she says, that depending on which eye dominance you are, this is really fascinating, Jessica, like you could figure out for your kids, it's really easy to figure out, but depending on which eye dominance you are, so like if you're left eye dominant, that left eye orchestrates the reading and the left eye orchestrates all of the things. And so if you're left eye dominant, Hmm. you naturally read from right to left. That would be your natural Hmm. inclination. And so she talks about these percentages, these huge percentages of kids that get sent for remedial instruction, they're left eye dominant because that's not their natural Hmm. ability. And so they just need more time to play and to develop those connections that would help their eyes to team and track better. I mean, there's so much to it, to waiting. So she talked about that that plays like through age seven or eight. You're talking third grade at that point, that that's maybe a more appropriate time to dive into those concepts. That is fascinating. I hadn't Mm -hmm. heard of that. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, it's really interesting. I probably read that book like five times because it really helps to make a lot of things make sense. And Mm. so her whole point is that when you're stressed or when you're learning something new, so this is like childhood, right? You know, all kids are learning new things Mm -hmm. all the time. And a lot of times they are stressed that parts of your brain shut down. And then it's just so interesting. And if that is affecting your dominant eye, then you're not going to be able to read at that moment. So anyway, it's just a lot of interesting Mm. things. But I love this part about how you can enhance basically your entire function, your whole brain function, which helps your whole body just through playing. So I love that you have such a focus in your book on playing and how play matters. And then you talk about failure. Yeah, failure is a good thing. Failure is a gift. Being bad at things is a yeah. gift. Yeah. All of this is so counterintuitive to our culture. Mm. Like back to your busy busyness point, like, and I'm guilty of this too. Like if you look on Facebook or Instagram, what we're proud of for our kids is like, they're in this play, they're on this team. Mm. Here's the recital. And, and yeah, that is great. And I, again, have been there. We've played on the teams. <laughs> But yeah, that really, is that really what is helping them? Because what really might help is just a minute and not be lugged everywhere all over the place. And Mm -hmm. to your point of failure, like having the space to try something, mess up at it. And it is a balance because again, like they need opportunities for challenge and growth and newness, different challenges. But I just don't think that that is found in a lot of what the expected narrative of, okay, they're at school until four and then they are got to go to this organized activity to this organized activity and Saturdays is for organized activity, you know, right? it's just exhausting. And I think parents intuitively are exhausted, but they're scared to get off the bus because they're going to get behind. Yes. And so to your, I think you kind of 
asked me this earlier, like in some ways, I think my kids have been a little bit of experiments and so far, (laughs) you know, knock on wood, it's very early, but I'm so grateful and proud that they've had a different opportunity and not been just gone all the time in structured activities. I think that's maybe some of the most concerning trends is that people think kids need to be in structured activities. And I just think, you know, them running around in the backyard making mud pies, like to your whole point of the play and the brain development, that's honestly almost more meaningful than them at their t-ball practice or whatever, you know, Right. which we don't, it's counterintuitive. It is counterintuitive. It really is. And I think that's part of what makes it hard. And I think the fear is a huge component to that. We just feel like we're on, we've started a race. That's how I used to feel. I don't feel that as much anymore, but it definitely still resurfaces time to time where there's this fear of, Mm -hmm. are we doing enough, especially when we look around us and see that other people are maybe doing more and that may fit for them or for their kids or certain things. It's not a judgment call, but it can make us feel inadequate or shaky, I guess, on our beliefs and what we really Mm want to do. And I I have been chewing a little bit on the idea, you know, with my 13-year-old, they do start to kind of itch for more. Like they want Mm -hmm. a different challenge. They want to get out of the house. They want friends. Right. And I have a, one of my mentors is Monica Swanson, who wrote Boy Mom. Um, She has another book or two coming out too, but they homeschool in the middle of Hawaii, (laughs) which sounds idyllic, but there's not a lot of community in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's beautiful, but um, she spoke about how her boys, and they're mostly all grown, but how they experienced a large amount of loneliness just Mm. as a result of their lifestyle choices. And that instead of, oh, they feel lonely, I need to change something. She really was able to see, looking back, how those times of loneliness for her kids and not like getting what they wanted maybe at the time Mm -hmm. was such a gift to them. And so she really encouraged me that those times of loneliness, that's when they really developed great friendship with their brothers. That's when they honed a lot of their talents that they're really good at. That's when they really grew in their character. And so allowing as parents, like allowing your kids to maybe like, it's not the worst thing in the world if they are a little bit bored or they do feel left out, like Mm -hmm. what that's doing for them. And, you know, speaking as an adult, and you probably feel the same way, Jenny, like the challenges that you face, those are the times that you really grew. Oh, that's what what molded your character. And the failures. I mean, I tell a story about the first book I wrote was with a publishing company and it was really hard for me. It was far above and beyond my talent set. Like you talk about you're teaching a writing class. I would never teach a writing class. This is not what's in my wheelhouse. And so I wrote this book and it wasn't even like a book book. It was like an activity book. I did all photography, also not very good at that. But it was a thing to do to stretch myself because I wanted to model to my kids that you should stretch yourself. It gave me more empathy for their childhoods. But anyway, so Jessica, I do this whole book, coordinate with all our friends to be in these photos and all these activities and getting signed slips of permission to be in the book. And then I turned the whole thing in and a month later it got canceled because of COVID. No. (laughs) You know, you talk about the roller coaster and the failure. And anyway, we turned around and were able to self-publish it and hire a friend to lay out the design. And it turned out to be a very cool story. It actually came out one day before I was on the Today Show. So, I mean, this is a cool story. But this failure to be able to pick yourself back up and to say, well, maybe there's a different path. Maybe there's a different 
reason. Maybe there's something else that I can learn from this. And you write in the book, I love that you write. You're like, parents have lost tolerance for failure and so have the kids. But yeah, these are the times when we grow the most and we realize that we have more in us than we realized. And we learn that there's something else out there that a failure is not, I think a failure is not like a stop. It's just an, a diversion of the path. You just go a different direction. So I think so many of the concepts that you wove in here, Jessica, are so, like you said, they're almost all counterintuitive. They're all, right? Failure mm-hmm. is a gift. Boredom is a gift. That's counterintuitive. I mean, they're counterintuitive. And not to fill it with these academic, adult-directed pursuits, that's counterintuitive. So it's just such a great reminder, Jessica. I loved it. And I've loved talking to you. This has been fantastic. I've got to read Memory Making Mom. That's on my list. Building traditions that breathe life into your home. So Jessica, if you could just remind people real quick about where they can find you. And then for the homeschooling families out there, because I know that a lot of homeschooling families listen, you also offer a homeschool boot camp. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, thank you. Yes, I'd have just loved chatting with you. You had some really thought-provoking questions. I think um, we need to still be friends after this (laughs) and keep talking. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I'm on Instagram at jessica.smart with two Ts. And my blog is Smarter Each Day with two Ts. And then you can find my books, Let Them Be Kids and Memory Making Mom on Amazon. And um, like you said, I really have a passion to help moms that maybe think they couldn't homeschool or are maybe struggling with homeschool. I have Homeschool Boot Camp, which is a standalone self-paced course, uh, reasonably priced. I'm pretty proud of that. It just touches on a lot of different questions that particularly beginning or struggling homeschool moms might have. So I'll pass that link along that you can put in the show notes so people can find that. But um, yeah, that's that's, that's about all I've got. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot. Two <laughs> books and a course and a website and a social media. That is a lot. And it's just yeah. all so helpful and encouraging. So Jessica, we always end our podcast with the same question. And it's about play. It's about sort of that open-ended time. And I like what you were talking about, that loneliness piece, which is interesting That was also counterintuitive because we're also hearing a lot about loneliness and how that's a hard thing in our culture right now. But in some cases, the loneliness in spurts, that's helping us learn to enjoy being with ourselves. John Taylor Gatto talks about that, that we learn to enjoy our own company. And I always thought Mm -hmm. that was such a cool Mm -hmm. statement. But anyway, all these different things. So the, the question that we end with is, what is a favorite play memory of yours from childhood that was outside? Hmm. Um, so many. Let's see. My uncle, who's just a crazy monster. I mean, just one of those like larger than life people Mm -hmm. took us on a bike ride when we were, you know, like I'm looking back and we drove the side of these massive highways. I'm like, my mom must have been losing her mind. (laughs) But he took us to ride our bikes on these Maryland um, highways and we, you know, we're on the shoulder of the road. It was probably f- five or six miles. So for like little eight, seven, eight-year-olds, he had this whole line of ducks, little kids traipsing oh, behind wow. him. And he, we went to the local hamburger restaurant. We finally made it to like this little diner mm-hmm. and then went home. And we just thought we were the stuff like wow. that we had ridden on these roads got to eat at the restaurant pick whatever we want and then ride back it was wow. like that was 
we we were living the dream. Yeah, because you can get yourself there. I mean, that is, you know, is up until that mm-hmm. point in childhood, you're getting driven places. But yeah, to be able to pedal exactly. yourself to an actual place, that's awesome. I love right. that memory. How cool. Yeah. Well, Jessica, thank yeah. you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. It's so fun to get to talk with an author after you've read their book. Like, you get to actually connect with them and talk about the things that really stuck out to you and so this has been such a gift to me at a cost to you because all gifts have a cost, which I think is such a profound concept in this one. But thank you so much for being here. And I'm excited to stay connected. Yes. Thanks again. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.